And the pandemic allowed for some time to kind of reflect on that and, you know, just kind of thinking about what is it exactly that I like to do? What can I like watch on YouTube for hours and not mm -hmm. realize? It's a good question. You know, it, it's a great one to kind of ask yourself, like, what are you passionate about? Yeah. You know? And uh, it wasn't until a friend brought up like, you like drugs. <laughs> like, you know? Founded in 2017, Startwell is Toronto's independent hub for innovators to collaborate. Our podcasts relate perspectives from the world's most diverse urban population to reflect unique insights into global business, media, and culture. For this, the 50th edition of the Startwell podcast, uh, which is quite a nice milestone. It's funny because I don't think about it often enough. We, we, we start recording these pieces and it's just nice to have the conversations that uh, it goes and goes and goes. And it's been 50 conversations in this series since 2017. So for this auspicious occasion, I'm sat today uh, in studio here on King Street West at Startwell with Stephanie Niento. The founder or co-founder? Co-founder. We're going to hear about who else is part of your posse. Uh, co-founder of a lovely brand. Well, no, it's not just Mojo, this product that I'm holding in my hand. It's Guella. Yes. So Guella Mushrooms Inc. is what's on the package. Guella is the brand. Um, I would love to hear everything about your company. But first, welcome to the studio. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. It's a pleasure to have you here, and I love your color choice of outfit today. Thank you. I was sick of blending into everything else in Toronto. <laughs> and I'm so used to it. You know, people show up, they might watch one or two of these episodes before they, they come on camera, and they're always seeing me wear the same black shirt all the time, and it's a black studio, and everything's black, and it's just kind of like dark in winter. Color is so nice to see, so it's refreshing. Um, okay, so let's talk about uh, this company that you have. And who you founded it with? Let's start there. Yeah. So, I mean, during the pandemic, um, at pre my previous life, I used to build greenhouses in the Arctic, and I did that for about eight years. Eight years. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was my first baby, um, and you know I had been doing it for so long. My personality, who I was, was so tied up with what Green Igloo was, and then the pandemic hit, and I was like, wow, I've been doing this for a long time, and I don't think I have hobbies anymore. Like, I don't know. That's what happens when you're an entrepreneur, right? It, it is. And and it shouldn't. It shouldn't. Now I have more boundaries in place. But um, at the time, I didn't. And so I was really just kind of figuring out, like, what's next? Is there something next? Like, what do I want to do? What do I want to be when I grow up? Um, <laughs> and, and the pandemic allowed for some time to kind of reflect on that. And, you know, just kind of thinking about what is it exactly that I like to do? What can I like watch on YouTube for hours and not mm, realize? It's a good question. You know, it, it's a great one to kind of ask yourself, like, what are you passionate about? Yeah. You know? And uh, it wasn't until a friend brought up, like, you like drugs. <laughs> <laughs> 
like, you know, it's a it's a passion of yours, um, not just doing them, but like learning about them and really. It's funny how Canadians can say that just oh, like absolutely. as off the cuff, right? Totally, especially now. Like I feel like pre-pandemic was still a little bit more taboo, but ever since I feel like psilocybin has really picked up steam and it's more of an open conversation. But even back then, I was just like, yeah, that's just a passion of mine, um, and. At the time, I was like, how does one create a career in drugs without being like an underground dealer? Which I did consider for a split second, but mm-hmm. I was like, you know, not not exactly the road I want to go down. Um, and so I started kind of just reaching out to people in cannabis. If anybody was going to know anything about the space, it was going to be those guys. Um, and I eventually got connected through a mutual friend to my current co-founder. Uh, he kind of, you know, same kind of deal. He wanted to build a psychedelic brand. Uh, we had our third co-founder who actually had a formula that was more of like a natural Adderall, but we wanted to mm. tweak it and make it more of a microdose. Our whole thing was accessible psychedelics because psychedelics, we don't know when, if they will be legalized. And so, yeah, we kind of just... Like we didn't even meet in person. Going back to like not, you know, seeing people in, Wait, in sorry, person. This is, and paint the picture of when this was. So this was like May, June, twenty twenty. Okay, right um, away. Yeah, we so we we met like over Zoom probably around that time. Um, then we negotiated co-founder, you know, like equity without having met each other, without even really knowing each other, just wow. going off of like. A mutual friend that knew both of us relatively well and we you know we've been in the startup ecosystem so we had friends of friends who like knew each other um yeah negotiating kind of the deal and ideating on what we were going to build and then we started building um mojo was a lot of iterations from that original formula and making it more into a microdose testing it at home you know <laughs> with friends and family like how did that make you feel were you able to do xyz um and then starting to hire a team. But again, all of that was remote. I didn't even meet, meet Pete, my co-founder, until about six or eight months in, like in person. Hmm. Um, and I d- didn't meet our third co-founder, Daniel, until the following summer. So you guys were all signed up and on paper. Inked. Yeah. You're inked. Yeah. Um, so what's the what's the tie that binds? Like between the three of you, there's obviously the shared interest in, let's call it, what, altered states of consciousness? I'd say. That's a great way to put it. And uh, and so how did that so quickly evolve into product development? Who who had the who's already playing with with the stuff? So our third co-founder Daniel, he had created the original formula, I guess the base formula like a decade ago when he was in university to get through finals. So it was something that it was just kind of on the back burner, you know, just there. And what was that story? Why why did he create that? He needed you know, some support focusing, really, like being able to focus, not wanting to get hooked on Adderall, like a lot of, you know, college, university students do. Um, so that was really the focus. He's also a biochemist. So, you okay. know, he had so he was the, at school for biochemistry. Exactly. So and he was had like, the background. hey, I don't need to take this drug and get stuck on it. So exactly. So he made a natural option, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. And, and so for us, I mean, it's That's funny. Interesting. And it, did it work right away? Like he fa- he it helped him get through school. Oh yeah, and um, he sold it to his friends. No, he and they dropped money in his locker, and you know he would he would ride on his bicycle and like supplement dealer. 
Um, you know, I think he just used it for himself for a really long time. And then, you know, graduated, finished off, started his own um, like R&D slash manufacturing company. And he's been doing that for a really long time. Um, so Pete and Daniel actually met on a like a psychedelic forum online. Um, Man, this, rem- <laughs> this reminds me of the early Internet. Yes. That, that that's actually a great way to describe our foundership, um, especially because of the pandemic. Like we're not meeting each other in person, kind of hearing from other people, seeing what their work was beforehand, uh, putting trust into that. Um, but yeah, that's how they met. I met Pete through a mutual friend who had worked with me on, on my previous company. Um, and yeah, we kind of just jumped into it. We had this base formula. We knew what we wanted to do, accessible psychedelics. We knew we couldn't make a hallucinogenic, hallucinogenic, um, hallucinogenic, hallucinogenic. Hallucinogenic. It's a hard one. Yeah. But yeah, we wanted. We couldn't really replicate that. What we could replicate was mood, focus, and energy. Mm-hmm. And so we took that base formula, started testing with it. The testing was a whole journey of its own. Um, Anecdotes. What does that mean? Is this like? <laughs> it's a. Pop? Imagine bringing like. Opening up your mailbox and finding just like gummies in tin foil, like in a little baggie in your mailbox, <laughs> and you're and you're just supposed to be like, all right, blind faith, put it in my mouth, see how it goes. Um, and at the time, like the first time I tried the one of the first times of Mojo, um, I had no no background. Um, Pete failed to tell me, you know, take half, which Daniel had told him. And so I just took the entire thing. I was like, yeah, it's a gummy. I'm going to, you know, test it out. And I was I, I was bouncing off the walls. I was like, I need to clean my entire house right oh, really? now. Really? Um it was it was a little too strong. Um but it shows that the effects work. Yes. Uh it was a few more iterations until we got to one that you know, we were happy with and until we launched our soft launch anyway. Um but it, it was a journey of just like testing with friends and family and like getting them to just tell us honest feedback. That's what it should say on the package. Tested on humans, not tested on animals. Yeah, tested, tested on humans. Tested on real people on our team. <laughs> That's what Aesop does with their um, the soaps, their pet line. Oh. Pest, tested on employees' pets, so you know that they wouldn't harm their own pets. You hope. You'd you would hope. Right, in a normal world with normal people. Who live normal lives. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally, totally. Um, it feels like things have gone fast for you guys. Because if you met each other online in 2020, started whipping up batches of this stuff and testing it on each other and feeling the effects of the high, liking it, um, and now we're sat in studio with packages on the table of this product that people can you know buy. Um so tell me about the the I guess the manufacturing process that you had to focus on in order to like reach the ability to put it in people's hands. Manufacturing wasn't the hard part. It's actually really? building the brand that was the hard part. Um, manufacturing because Daniel has we, we're vertically integrated. Like he has his own manufacturing facility. Okay, so it's it's a food manufacturing facility, or what is it? It is. Okay. So I we, assumed it was like industrial. When you said manufacturing facility, I'm like, okay, they make chairs. Oh. <laughs> in my head. No, totally food safe, um, food grade, and so creating the different versions of it wasn't wasn't too hard because we had all the equipment, the molds, the ingredients, like everything on that side was relatively 
not easy, but easier. Um, in contrast to the hard part, which was figuring out our product market fit. <laughs> so really? at first, we decided that we wanted to target gamers. We were like, you know what? This is a segment that I think will really appreciate a clean, energy-enhancing product. So an alternative to like Rockstar Energy Drink. Exactly. Yes. Red Bull. That's exactly what we thought. Our whole theory was that there are gamers out there that have these like wellness lifestyles and you know they're relatively like clean living but then when it comes to gaming they they have the red bulls and we we figured you know they probably want an alternative on tap market um and so we, you know we we basically did zero testing other than on the product itself making sure it worked and then we just launched um we had investors who had uh connections into the you know esports world and question pause mm-hmm. how did you have investors at that point we so I'm I hate saying a serial founder. I I have started companies previously. So has my co-founders, and so we had a network of people who had already bet on us in previous instances and kind of, you know, where you go I go type of relationship. So we had already Your rider dies. Our rider dies. A lot of family friends. Some people with uh, maybe like a family office, but so um, angel. This was an angel round. This was an angel round. Okay. Yeah, and so yeah, we launched. Um, it did terribly. Uh, we how did you launch when you say launch where did you sell it how we worked with a bunch of gamer influ- micro influencers um, we sponsored a few e-gaming events we started doing some paid performance stuff with who we thought was the demographic um, we made an Instagram like we launched a website you know um, and what we figured out relatively quickly mm-hmm. was that Yes, gamers might have a super clean lifestyle, but when it comes to gaming, it's all about immediate performance. Yeah. Um, and Mojo takes about 20 to 30 minutes to kick in. Okay. So it just wasn't the ideal fit. And more importantly, we aren't gamers. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not a gamer, neither are my co-founders. And so for us, we didn't really understand that, that culture, world. Yeah. The culture, like how people speak about things, what they take, what they don't, what the games that were popular were. Like right. and we tried. We 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 hired people that had that experience, who were passionate about the space, but it just didn't make sense. <laughs> After doing it for like four or five months, we're like, this isn't this isn't working. But that's good. That's a good you know, that's not that long as a time to invest in, in testing a market. It's not. And we and, and we learned quickly. Um, over after after that, I would say like maybe a month after we were realizing it wasn't really picking up steam, we kind of went back to the drawing board and uh, we we really went back to like why did we create this mm-hmm. right like what was the reason behind it and a lot of it was we wanted a product that we could take right you know like we were the audience and so once we started kind of drawing out who the audience was and you know how did they think where where were they finding their information what were their pain points and kind of started retargeting our messaging our packaging our logo our ads then we started picking up steam and uh so we relaunched we did a hard launch in october 2021 Mm -hmm. and it went really well we like beat our forecast for sales by like 50-ish, 56% within the first two months. And um, yeah, we, we, that's kind of when we realized we had a winner on our hands. So October 2021, last October. Mm-hmm. No, it's now 2023. Oh, you're right. Pandemic time, <laughs> pandemic time. 2023. Um, wow. A year and a half ago-ish. Mm-hmm. Crazy. So, okay, so how did you... Uh, 
launch? What was the launch and what was the positioning? At first, we went with um, natural food product, kind okay. of natural alternative wellness. Sure. Which I, I would say is still kind of what we are. Um, we are in terms of our launch, all the things that we did previously just with the new type of audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really focused at first on just our performance marketing kind of strategy and who we were targeting. We went in deep into the psyche of like, who are other people like us? Where do they hang out? What can we sponsor? Where can we be in front of their faces? Um, and then we were. Like, so what we, was that prototype? Like, what? spell it out. Well, for California, we started going to things like, um, there's this big, uh, like, beach party. It's called the Box Party. And it's all about, like, day-to-day wellness, but also, like, millennial, hanging out, wanting to find their inner self type of stuff. It grew from, like, 30 people back in, I think, 2016. Now it's, like, over 200 to 300 people. Okay. We were there. Uh Uh-huh. We started going to, like, different types of meditation yoga studios fitness spaces uh co-working spaces and just giving out free products like just try us like put just a, pushing like, it just, yeah just pushing, pushing it. the product um hey kids want some candy <laughs> that was literally me <laughs> showing <laughs> the up backpack exactly um so yeah we started doing that a lot um and just seeing what people would say uh and then we started getting orders um, which was great. What we didn't expect was uh, we, uh, for, we were fully ready just to be like a direct consumer play. Right. Um, but then we started getting wholesale interest. And Interesting. I, like I had never done wholesale in my entire life. Um, and then building out a wholesale arm of like sell sheets and information about the brand and decks and discounts and invoicing and, and that was all learning as you went, or was oh, absolutely no mentors, no. Advisors that are, you know, with industry experience, worked at Coca-Cola for 5,000 years sort of thing. Uncle Tim. We did have those folks, but because of we were at that awkward part where it's like we're kind of too small for their advice based on their experience. But also we need some guidance. And so instead of relying on advisors who had worked at kind of those bigger companies, I started reaching out to other brand owners um, and just being like, hey, it's my first time doing anything wholesale. I'm like. I don't even know what margin I'm supposed to expect. Like, what? What? How do I build out this sheet? How do I find, like, just starting from scratch fully? Um, and thankfully, you know, other brand owners were, you know, took pity and took me under their wing and taught me a lot about what I'm supposed to do. Any particular ones of note? Um, definitely Daydream, the drink. I think I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen that on shelves at Fiesta Farms where I do my grocery shopping. Nice. Well, Daydream, so Alex, the founder, uh, he was crucial in, in all of this. Um, there was also my, my partner's older sister. So she actually was one of the first sales marketing people for Vega. Like that, uh, it's like a, not a supplement, it's like a pre-workout type of thing. Mm. Um, back when they first started. Now they're Oh, the everywhere. vegan energy bars? Uh, no, it's like a powder. Well, that's one of the things they do. But they have, they have, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I know what you mean. That's the vegan one, though. Yes. Yeah, that's what everyone knew it as at the time when it came out. Now there's lots of vegan options. I think for protein powder, it's a right. Yeah, I think yeah. so. But basically, just like sitting with these people and being like, "What am I supposed to do?" That's awesome. Um, and then building it from there. I'm still learning, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, because it's again, this is what three years in. Yeah, <laughs> like just full on learning a lot of things still. Um, I think my one of my favorite ones was I 
I feel like I was r- trying to run before I could walk. Mm-hmm. And so I have this like beautiful notion built out like sales sheet with all the information and you like there's a different tab and you have all the product specifications. It's beautiful. Um, but when I'm speaking to ho- wholesale retailers, they're like, send me the PDF. And I'm just like, I have this beautiful link where yeah. it's, it can be You can explore it and learn more. And they're like, I don't have time. Yep. I made a Loom video, you know, I as techy as I could get. Yeah. And now I'm going back to the drawing board and creating like a PDF at the moment. Well, um, honestly, the power of the PDF, man, it's it's unbeknownst to most people. It's crazy. And it's not for it. And yeah. And what's funny in startup world, I mean, people people make their PDFs like decks, you know, everything's a deck. It's like, let me sell you on some shit. No, no, no. It's got to be the dumbest document you can make with only the most functional links hyperlinked, if at all. And it's literally just to pass the information around, right? Yeah. If it's not a form and, and that's a whole different thing. Uh, it is interesting to like have to figure it out and, uh, and, and go that way. Because that's, I mean, I've always thought that that's kind of the like the way, the entrepreneurial way is like you have a you have problems in front of you and they're just really things to, to, to walk through. Um, and, uh, and the journey is, is so much fun. Like, I hope you guys have been having tons of fun doing this. I would say there's fun and pain in equal amounts. What has been, what are, what are the, the mentionable painful things? Uh, from the beginning or from like recent? Go back, way back to All the right. beginning. Um, Understanding what you can and cannot say on packaging on and on social platforms. Pain. Okay. Big pain. Big pain. Um, so getting lawyers involved at some point. Yes. And knowing what to ask them. Right? Yeah. So you don't you have to watch your budget and watch your clock and watch your mouth. Yep. Because um, lawyers aren't humans. <laughs> well, that's when you find one that has the oh, human element. It's so tough. I have you know, I once counted how many lawyers I know. This was like 15 years ago. I knew 22 lawyers that I could name and call. Now it's probably tripled. And it's just because you meet lawyers. They're everywhere. But what's interesting is, yeah, there's so few that I know out of the multitude that I do know who um, understand business case for anything you bring them, if they're corporate lawyers. Most of them are literally thinking about, you know, the law. Mm Mm-hmm. It's so weird. It's important to have so that like I would say a big pain point finding service providers that like understood your business, especially because mm-hmm. we're in such a weird little niche, um, and being able to ask them things that are like I'm like I don't know if what I'm asking you is illegal or not. <laughs> you know, um, is this a drug? What class of drug is this? Yeah, exactly. Can I get arrested like, for this. Small things like that, or even insurance. That was a big pain point. We're a supplement, straight up. Like we're a, a supplement, and that is our classification, uh, completely legal. But because our name has microdose in it, um, it it was. It, it was raises all these concerns. Insurance companies have also gotten so. Um, yeah, they've they've really tightened their belts in the last few years. You know, it's weird because it came up the other day where like, uh, not the other day, a couple of years ago, we were, we were renewing um, our policy, which is just general liability for real estate, right? Office space. And uh, and the policy came back and the, and the broker was like, I can't renew it. I'm sorry. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Why? You know, we haven't changed our type of business. Oh, it's got to do with COVID and increased risk exposure. Offices? All offices are no longer insurable? 
How's that gonna work? Well, no, it's it's not that. It's just that da 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 da. These guys are getting out of the office insurance business. Who are they? Lloyd's of London. I'm like, no, Lloyd's of London is one of the largest insurance companies in the world. So I guess you know what I learned through that process. I, I then got a different broker to get me the same policy I used to have from the same <laughs> underwriter, the same whatever. And uh, it's so bad. But like, so yeah, insurance is difficult because it's not necessarily about who's insuring you. It's about who's brokering that insurance as well. They have to understand what your business is to be able to fill out the PDF that they need to fill out, right? Yeah. And also because functional mushrooms, even when you say it, a lot of people don't necessarily know what they are um and they just assume you say mushrooms and in today's environment oh well it's magic. a psychedelic like yeah. it's a magic mushroom mushies exactly and and so it's just yeah just kind of i've ha- I've made multiple insurance decks kind of pointing out like these are our ingredients like there's nothing illegal in here um but do you think that's part of the the okay because part of your your discovery in racing the market and then figuring out the product market fit must have entailed a competitive analysis or looking at least even if you don't consider it competition, but look at other products that use ingredients that you guys are blending. Um, and then look at how those, what the brand equity, I would say the brand positioning of those ingredients are. It seems to me that in the last five years, products that you know have, some of the products I've seen in Canada and North America in general that have like reishi and lion's mane and all these things are touted as more than they are sometimes to kind of like shock value the purchase and maybe that's because those brands didn't know their market positioning so they were kind of like testing the waters by being racy we looked at people that offered the same benefits and how they spoke about said benefits and a lot of these folks you know one they have their energy product their uh, focus product their mood product it's not all in one Mm. Um, and often it was very much like the granola like wellness, mindfulness type of branding. And so for us, at first, we did try to go down that route. Um, after the gamer, you know, stint, we went down the wellness stint. Yeah. And we went full Tulum. <laughs> we did. We did. We truly did. And then what we found was that we just weren't a natural product f- sweetheart. Like, we just weren't. And that's partially because there is synthetic caffeine, which sounds, you know, it can sound a certain way, but... All it is is it's it's slow release. So instead of like when you know when you have a coffee, you get that immediate like rush. Is that real though? That. I thought a lot of that was placebo because of no. taste. It it just releases right away. That's oh, all it is. Okay. And, and with us, it, it releases slowly over time. So instead of getting one big rush, you kind of get a slow build. Mm. Um, and so yeah, we kind of realized like we weren't a natural sweetheart. It, that our that type of branding wasn't going to work for us. Like there was a version of Mojo that didn't have colorful anything and was more like you know uh, what is it called like recycled paper type of Mm. vibe um but then we realized that you know places like jimbo's or maybe even airwan they weren't really what's jimbo's they're like the they decide what is a natural food product and jimbo's yeah there's a place called jimbo's that determines whether your product is natural or not basically so they are is um, there a man named jimbo i would hope I really do hope. And he sits in an office at the top of the <laughs> Just building. Just points. That one's good. <laughs> um, there's it's a like company out of it's a it's a grocery store um, okay. based out of California, and they are the strictest on in terms of what they put on their. It's shelf. like the kosher rabbi. A little bit. Okay. Yeah, and and so yeah, that's if you kind of 
if you're not on their shelves, you're not really in the natural space. Maybe other places like Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, they'll take you on because they're not Jimbo's. Yeah. <laughs> but what we realized was like our ingredient list didn't really align with them. And so we kind of moved past that and we realized we were kind of in this like midway point where yes we had organic ingredients and generally like you know we were vegan and all of the kind of good for you trust certificates we had them for the most part um but we also wanted more fun branding and our brand voice we wanted to be more lively and not just for you know meditation or breath work we wanted to be for a party. We mm-hmm. wanted to be for your workout. We wanted to be for your work day. We wanted to be for somebody recording music. Like it's there were like so a many 360 lifestyle brand. Yes. And so that's been one I, I would say one of the interesting and, and difficult parts of figuring out how like how to do performance marketing for us or how to speak about the brand when there is so many different types of use cases. Mm-hmm. Um it, it's it's still something that we like debate. <laughs> on a weekly basis um, and uh, something where I'm actually in the midst of doing customer interviews and figuring out like what are the reasons like you use Mojo the top ones at least to help in- inform what we're going to do next have you and so have you guys along the way engaged who I guess on the on the press side of things or PR side of things uh, getting your product in front of people that can write about it and, and help kind of amplify your voice um, to the product marketing side of things and product even package development design side of things. Um, have you worked with external people for this or is this all internal staff developed, you know? No, we've definitely worked with experts. Okay. Um, PR-wise, we've worked with a few few agencies, few freelancers over the past year and a half, two years. Um, some were better than others. Uh, they got us into Business Insider, Forbes, um, and, you know, we... That was amazing. Yeah. Like, that was a really great day. Um, but, uh, and then in terms of, like, the packaging design, I, initially, it was done in-house, um, the first two, three iterations. Um, then we worked with an agency out of Seattle for the current version, and we're actually updating our packaging. Um, it's, like, going to print hopefully today. <laughs> Fingers crossed on that one. Um, and it should be ready for February because we're launching, I don't know when this is going to be released, but we're launching in Urban Outfitters. Um, and so we oh, wanted wow. like really snazzy new packaging for it. That's exciting. Yeah. So how did that come about? <laughs> so um, I may or may not have messaged over 73 buyers at Urban Outfitters worldwide on LinkedIn to gotta love LinkedIn. LinkedIn's the best. Yeah, yeah. You know, people should just just admit it. Let's all connect. (laughs) That's why we're connected. You know, it it is great. And I I am a fan of LinkedIn. I am one of those people that's like, if you add me, I'm gonna ask you why you added me. Like, I want I want to be able to somewhat know, you know, who you are. Yeah, if nothing's like, hey, what's up? Let's you know. Yeah, let's let's jam on something. But what? Yeah. Exactly. And so, yeah, I messaged a bunch of people. And I guess one of the people that I messaged, um, I had also like applied through their regular portal. Uh, They happened to be the same person. She got back to me and she's just like, yeah, I'll I'll give it a shot. And so then I sent her like a whole skew of like all of our stuff. I sent her a sweater. I I was like, and I wrote like handwritten note, like, please, please like our product. You're like, Grandma Stephanie, I knitted this for you. (laughs) Literally, I I was, I tried, you know, our best um, to, to 
land that one. Um, similar to Fantastic Fungi, the the Netflix documentary. That's like I don't know it. Okay, you should watch it. It's fantastic. Right, that's why it's called Fantastic Fungi. It is. Um, I've watched it like two or three times now. It's a um, documentary about fungi. all sorts of fungi. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, but it, we we reached out to them, uh, and now we're on their store, um, which is really wild because it it was so huge. I think in twenty twenty one. But yeah, a lot of the time when we, like we get these kind of bigger orders or re- partnerships, it's a lot of times like our small team doing our best like on Twitter or Instagram or LinkedIn, reaching out and being like, hey, like I have this cool brand. Please take a look at it. Yeah. And that's what it takes, that kind of hustle. And er- well, everyone says in the early days, but like I th- always, I think always. And I think there's a lot of really interesting organic relationships that form that can support brands that way. Once you get, you know, corporate down the line, hopefully you don't need to go down that path if you don't want to. But like, yeah, the corporate CPG kind of world is a very dry place. And uh, this is cool. This is this is way more fun. That's why I asked about the fun. And then also, um, you know, as these relationships form and you have people that are helping amplify your voice, helping you find new markets, um, it's kind of titillating, isn't it? To like consider what the opportunities are. And when you have a new relationship, just think of the product in that many more people's hands. Yeah, no, absolutely. One of, um, going back to like the fun part, Mm -hmm. um, two partnerships recently that I was like, wow, this is going to be so cool. Um, because I'm fangirling over their products or services. I'm like, this is like this is gonna open up a completely different audience. Yeah. So one was vinyl. Um, they do so they send it's like a subscription of vinyl records that they send to you. And I was talking to the founder. He was just like, I don't even know how many people actually have like record players at home, but it makes for a great like coffee table like on a shelf type of vibe and he's to like put, I don't actually know how many to put people put vinyl on the wall and be like I'm cool I got vinyl well yeah you have this like really big thing that has like a you know an artist name on it and they also provide they look at your Spotify and they can provide you with like recommendations but in a form like a form factor of a vinyl record um, he's saying he's selling this like he's selling vinyl to people that don't have re- some yeah that's so weird man like so I, I you know I've been a DJ since 19... 19- 98 and have performed all over the world and had record labels and music festivals and stuff like that so that that sounds so strange to me you know i have my selection of my last maybe 300 records at home that i paired my like 10,000 record 5,000 record i don't know how many i had at the height collection down to the like the gems the most gem of the gems just to be able to move around the world with that selection so it sounds crazy it's heartbreaking to me I mean, I get it though. I'm like, I love a vinyl record. I don't have a record player at home, um, but I, I will get you a record player. Okay. <laughs> I literally thought about <laughs> buying one specifically for this partnership, uh, and then there was Herb Bar. So they're this like mushroom facial oil out of wow. I want that's kind of cool. Portugal or Germany, I, I don't remember, but um, their product is really cool, and like their their brand is really nice. Their packaging is beautiful. Hmm. Um, it's just it's just really nice, like meeting other founders with really cool brands, and right. I'm like, oh, this was your passion project, eh? Cool. <laughs> yeah, totally, absolutely. I think it's amazing what you guys have accomplished in the last few years. It sounds Me too. <laughs> it's 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 really quite an accomplishment. Um, so as of now, where is so Mojo? Okay, t- let's break this down because you know I think that there's a lot under the hood already and that's why i'm very proud of your accomplishments from what i've seen um because guela guela seems okay so in your marketing at least from your website you're you're focused on three things right 
Is that like fair to say? At in least... terms of like the benefits of Mojo? No, in terms of like what Guela does. So, yeah. So the, I think it's important the context. So Guela is more of like psychedelic editorial content and trip supplies ish. Um, like we have like a dosing calculator and a strain library of different types of psychedelic mushrooms, right? Guela is like psychedelic branding. Mm-hmm. Mojo is more day-to-day wellness. Okay. Um, leans on the edgy, illicit marketing side with microdose and the way that we sometimes speak about the product. But it's a like, legal product, can be in a Whole Foods, um, doesn't have any problematic language on the site, etc. Mm-hmm. And so the reason that we've done that is, well, one, yes, I mean, we wanted to create a psychedelic company. Like, that was the entire basis of all of this. But Guala is more so like building up street cred, really, in the psychedelic space. Mojo is creating a consumer brand that people can recognize. And eventually, if psychedelics are legalized one day, somebody can walk into a psychedelic shop and be like, hey, there's Mojo. They're also at CVS, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so that that was the reason behind it. On our new packaging, we actually took out the Guela logo from, from wow. the packaging. The packaging that's coming out today, you said? Yeah, well... Getting printed, getting printed, fingers crossed, um, because we the, there is a, a bit of that conf- that confusion can arise. Like, well, Guella's on there, and Guella's like very much a psychedelic brand. If you mm-hmm. go to the website, so does it have drugs in it? And it's like, no, no, it doesn't. And so we wanted to limit that type of confusion. Mm-hmm. But Mojo is one of Guella's products. <laughs> it's a little confusing. No, I get it. I get it. Also, because it's it sounds like this this is a little organic, and and the kind of branding and brand extrapolation is going to continue on in the next few years. So it makes sense. Um, so if Mojo is the kind of functional mushroom product line, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sitting here with a few packages that you brought in. They're all different colors. I often think about this in product design quite a bit. You know, like when you look down in your shower and you say, "I've used the same products." For my hair for like 10 years, same shampoo and conditioner, and I constantly forget which one's shampoo and which one's conditioner. And then you squint at the bottle and you see, oh, yeah, it's the smallest type on the bottle. Mm-hmm. I, I still don't know why they do that. Every brand does it. Um, okay, but I'm seeing different colors possibly for different flavor, mm-hmm. but it's the same thing. Yes and no. Um, so what you have in your hands, you have regu- two regular strength and one extra strength. I believe. Okay, I see. Macro strength is this red one. Yes. Right? That's this one. Mm-hmm. Then I've got two of these guys. Regular strength. Um, the new packaging is going to make it more clear on what's extra strength. It's going to be like, imagine that nice lilac color, but then the extra strength version of it will be like a dark gray with mm. the a center kind of mushroom image in the middle being that purple so you have the like oh, okay this is lighter you know it's full color and then you have like the oh it's dark because it's extra strength totally um and yes you have I to like do that, that voice when you're actually thinking about it but um yeah different flavors uh the i think so this is the uh regular strength and so what we had originally thought of doing was like a darker color or a darker deepening the color of the regular strength to make the extra strength but for some people, especially if you have a bit of a color blindness, it's tough to that tell. is tough to tell. So yeah, we're changing it up. So this is just a larger package of this in different flavor. Different strength, but yes. Different strength, it is. What? I yeah. thought this was normal. Oh, this normal sorry, not that. Extra. There we go. Different flavors, same strength. Right on. And different sizes. There you go. Yeah. Okay. It's also exciting. I can't wait to try this. 
Um, okay, so the active ingredients, looking at the, the ingredients here, cordyceps, cordyceps just means mushroom, no? Yep, it's a type of mushroom. Two yeah. different types of, uh, we have two different types of cordyceps. Sinensis and militaris. What's sinensis? Sinensis? Um, it's Sorry, just a sinensis. different type of cordyceps. So, I mean, cordyceps in general are those like really freaky fungi that take over different types of bugs like ants or caterpillars or well, there's a bunch of different types of bugs, takes over and then just like uses the host body to like grow, um, some of which uh, keep the host body alive. Um, there's a there's a new show out there that takes the same concept. It's like zombieing mm-hmm. your host. But that's cordyceps. It's great for a few things, <laughs> including things like um, blood flow, uh, energy, heart health, libido. Like it's it has a bunch of different uses. So the difference between sinensis and militaris? Kind of the same thing, but different. Um, different aspects of energy. I would get into the science aspect of it, but that's not my strong suit. Okay. And lion's mane? Lion's mane it could look at things like memory. It can look at things like your mood, your focus. We mostly use it for focus and uh, memory. And mukuna? That will look at your mood. Mukuna pruins. Like it improves your mood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, good. Because <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to make your mood bad. Um, and the 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 ginseng that you guys use, where is it from? Is it Korean ginseng? No, um, I don't actually know. To be honest, I love ginseng. It is a good one, but um, it's funny because it, it like for mood, um, people tend to think like, oh, it's going to elevate my mood, and I mean for me it does for other people though it just kind of stabilizes your mood depending like with any supplement you never really know how it's going to affect your own body and your own tolerances Mm. but i was doing customer interviews recently and uh, when asking people like oh why do you take mojo they were like oh well i take it because i want to stabilize like how i'm feeling during the day i don't want to have two big highs and two big lows um and i thought that was really interesting because i take it and i'm like if i'm having a bad day i want to take mojo to Uplift my right. mood. Huh. I'm gonna try one of these guys. So the other question I have is the format. So all of these are gummies. This is what you guys sell is gummies. Mm-hmm. Uh what was the reason for this particular format as your first product? I don't know about you, but I hate when people mess with like my coffee or my tea. And most supplements are either in a capsule or powder. Mm-hmm. Capsule felt a little too medical for us. Um, it was a little, yeah, it was a little too medical, um, which wasn't the brand that we were trying to build. And we also had the theory that a lot of people that are probably going to take this, they probably already have their own supplements at home. Um, like for me, I have, you know, a kind of an array, almost like I'm an 80-year-old person um, right, right. of things I take, and I didn't want to add to that. And then powders are just inconvenient. You can't take it with you. Or if you take it with you, you have to like bring in a little thing, you have to stir it in, and you're going to either ruin your tea or your coffee at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and that wasn't necessarily what we wanted to do either. So, yeah, we made a gummy. Um that was so you just had regular strength, um, regular strength strawberry tangerine. Uh, I would say it depending on your tolerance. Um, I typically recommend people that can have a coffee past 3 p.m. and still sleep. Yeah, you probably want to go with the extra strength. Okay. Um, so is extra strength the same as like two of these? Two and a half of those. Okay. Uh, although they, we are actually making regular strength stronger uh, come February as well. Interesting. Um, okay, I'll take one more. 
Well, you should try a different flavor if you're gonna. Yeah. Just explore. I'm gonna go for the blueberry. Which is interesting because a lot of customers do that, and I don't get it. I'm, I would be curious to know, like, what made you choose blueberry? You know, I'm gonna tell you, it, uh, it's product psychology uh, to do with aesthetics. Actually, I don't. I took that one first because it was the biggest one. Okay? okay. That's why I took it. Then the red always turns people. You know, you want calming colors typically, like blues and okay. greens and turquoises and purples and. Yeah, so that's why I went for this because it was like, if I have to make a decision, this is the easiest one because it's like a soft color. Gotcha. Okay. In yeah. My head. Anyway. Red is danger, right? That's valid. Psychologically. Yeah. Oh, these guys have gotten a little sticky, sticky. Yeah, that makes sense. I've had them in my drawer for like a solid three weeks. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Mmm. Actually, I do like this. Wow. I prefer this taste. In the sense that the flavor is less mushroomy, mm-hmm. it's less earthy. If we find that with the my favorite personally is the pomegranate hibiscus, mm-hmm. I find it's like the mm-hmm. nicest flavor for me. But blueberry, like that, is basically one of our you know top sellers. Wow, very nice flavor. I like it. So let's talk about the scale at which you guys are currently. Where, where, aside from this, the couple new distribution partners like Urban Outfitters, which is exciting. Um, where is this available in stores, in grocery stores, in yeah, health so food stores? We primarily, aside from your direct channel, I was gonna say, primarily direct, but uh, we're also on Amazon US. We're also in about 55 stores across the U.S., a lot of random, not random, but um, like more boutique grocery or cannabis, um, some sex stores too. Okay. Um, so that like it's been very much independent type of stores. Mm-hmm. Now we're actually, as of this morning, I signed a sales team broker-ish agreement to try and grow that arm. Um, and uh, we went international back in October. Okay. So now Congrats. we sell. Thank you. Yeah, we sell internationally as well, but wholesale only in the U.S. and soon to be Canada. Mm. This is interesting. So internationally, that means you are you selling directly internationally, or you have uh, kind of you have sales partners that are pushing the product or trying to trying to get it into foreign territories. For we you. have a fulfillment center um, that does our logistics for international shipments. Oh right, because you're selling online, so it's less about the retail. So if if orders yeah. come in from anywhere in the world. You have them Fulfill distributed. It. I love that. Um, how has the experience been selling on Amazon? <laughs> uh, have you used tricky. them? Have you used them as your fulfillment uh, partner? Or yes, okay. We are an FBA platform, like we or brand rather. Um, it's been tricky. So at first, so one th- one of the things that we kind of I would say messed up on, we did our whole persona mapping and you know did it for the brand and great. Launched it, did really well, went on Amazon, just assumed that it would be the same type of customer, used all our same tricks up our sleeve, failed, massively failed. (laughs) Um, We launched, so the first one that you tried, the regular strength, that was our first SKU on Amazon. What we learned was that Amazon customers don't want regular strength. They want like extra strength as the strongest punch you can give them um, wow. alongside affordability like that is what they're they want value for. for their buck is exactly. that what it is exactly even in a consumable 
Yes. <laughs> Supplement. Wow. Um, and so we had this moment of like, wow, like our reviews are awful because a lot of people are like, this isn't strong enough for me. Um, and then second part of that was Amazon for a solid two months, they messed up our fulfillment. And so they were sending people the wrong product. And so our listing Like the wrong was, flavor or like some no, other? Like, a, rather, like, like a pair of jeans? Yeah, like completely just wrong. Oh, no. Um, and so it just tanked our, our rating. Like we had like a like a... 2.9 or 3 it was it was awful how do you come back from that you don't so we you nuked just, it you relist yeah, you we we killed the store we killed the store we killed the listing um then we actually got into an accelerator out of guelph uh and we as part of it we sorry were, wait an accelerator out of guelph yeah what is it um it's uh wow this is they would kill me if i didn't remember this the um, university is affiliated with the university of guelph I don't think so. innovation. I think it's called Innovation Guelph. Huh. Um, they do have partnerships with the university, but it's not part of the university. Okay. Cool. Um, and yeah, we we got in, and as a part of that, we got an uh, an Amazon agency advisor, um, which actually got. So the entire reason I knew about any of this was because a different brand owner of like a kids bar that I know from Toronto was like, "You guys need Amazon help." I worked with this guy, but I ended up not being and not having to pay the agency because I got into this accelerator and he's part of it. And I was like, yes, nice tip. that's what we need to know. Yeah, credits. Exactly. And so, uh, yeah, I applied. We got in. Um, we got to work with the agency. We're still working with them now. Uh, and basically, yeah, they like took care of the nuking of our previous listing, got all of our product back, uh, relaunched it, redid our storefront, changed how like really looked at what type of wording and, and copy we were using um and anyway right now i think we're at like we're at 3.9 at the moment and i'm just i'm like get to that 4.0 just push just a bit oh ratings um, ratings are tough that way man yeah they are and it's not like you can ask people like amazon's super vigilant about you know asking for reviews and so yeah we've been you know, just working our way through it, doing the best that we can. Um, but it was a big learning curve of like, if you have an omni-channel strategy, you can't just assume your persona is going to be the same across all of them. Right. Yeah. Every channel is different. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Um, so what are you most happy with? Is it, It's that direct-to-customer sale from your website in terms of being able to handle the relationship. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what you mean by happy with. <laughs> well, I wonder, like, this is the, the holy grail, right? Uh, the zeitgeist currently is is maybe for the last, maybe it's post-zeitgeist, but the last couple of years, right, with the pandemic has been e-coms rebirth, or maybe not rebirth, for, for the, like, average Luddite, e-com is something new. And I've been shocked by that, personally, because it's like, you know, 20 years we've been talking about e-com. Um, but the holy grail, of course, is being able to have attract your customers and retain your customers through your own e-commerce platform, connect with them, evolve your relationship with content, and everyone's happy. But it kind of doesn't work that way, right? Like, I don't know if you find this. People might buy stuff from your website, then they'll find your stuff somewhere else. They'll buy it from somewhere else. They know the brand, but they're not thinking of the relationship as involving the port of transaction, um, which of course has its own uh, issues on the back end, at least I'm guessing to do with, you know, how many middlemen are taking the share and revenues and it's, you know, more profitable to sell direct and customers don't know that. Do they need to know that? Blah, 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 blah. 
I feel like customers know that now. And because of the e-com resurgence during the pandemic, I feel like, and maybe I'm just biased because I'm a brand owner. And so now I, like, I will not shop on a Black Friday deal. i rather get it before or after. And I'm like, keep doing what you're doing, you know? And I feel like customers have become more aware of, like, especially to the shop local, even if it's not shopping local physically, it's like support the brands that you that you really like. Mm-hmm. Um, even if even if you test them out on Amazon first, but you come back and you buy through direct. Mm-hmm. To us, I mean, yeah, owning the relationship is very valuable. We learn a lot. We also have this like really amazing community of beta testers. So when we want to launch something new, we're like, hey, can anybody just try free products for us and tell us like what you think about it? Um, which is Which is great. But at yeah. the end of the day, I'm like, I also really want to build our retail size and the idea that we could be in a bunch of CBSs and, you know, people like see us, buy us, even if it's not direct, like it's an incredibly exciting opportunity for oh, us. Oh, for sure. So, I mean, I don't know, wherever you buy, I, I, I love you for it, you know? <laughs> and so for our audience that's listening and watching, CVS, if you're not in America, is kind of like our shopper's drug mart in Canada. Yeah. Right. CVS and Walgreens, aren't those two number, those the largest maybe pharmacy grocery combos in America? I th- I think CVS is more like a 7-Eleven or a Shoppers-ish, like pharmacy plus convenience, versus Walgreens I think is a little bit more Walmart, like it has a little bit of everything. Mm. Um, but I might be wrong because I'm not American, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> um. So what have you been seeing in terms of your customers? Like, I guess, the are there prototypes or, I don't know, uh, persona that have emerged from looking at, you know, as your client base grows, as the user base grows, the customer base grows, the regular user, uh, you know, with this new positioning that's more kind of lifestyle focused and uh, healthy well-being kind of focused. Uh, what have you learned? There's a few different types of people that buy Mojo from from my perspective. We have like the people who are using it as an alternative to a psychedelic microdose, mm-hmm. whether they use psychedelics or not, um, but they want to get the benefits of a psychedelic microdose and they, for whatever reason they can't or they don't want to get a psilocybin microdose, they'll take Mojo. Or maybe they ran out and Mojo is kind of a alternative. Then you have the people who are like, they, it's their pre-workout. Instead of adding powder to water before they go do their workout, they take a mojo or take a few mojos. Um, and, uh, you know, you have, I feel like it's like fitness, but it's also mindfulness because you have like the yogis and the breath work and the cold exposure people. They all kind of fit into the almost performance category. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have the mental health folks who, you know, they look at mojo as a way to help with things like depression or anxiety. Um, and that's a, a regular, everyday type of consumer. Um, like, for, just on that note, for Mojo, for me, I use it as a, a way to deal with social anxiety, like before a party. Instead of pre-drinking, um, I've definitely stopped drinking as much alcohol as I, I guess, used to in my earlier 20s. Mojo is a great way to kind of, like, get the same feeling of kind of excitement and a little bit more, like, chattiness. Did you just um, say in my earlier 20s? I did. In my early I've never years. heard anyone in my life say that. <laughs> well, Damn, I, I feel old. <laughs> That's awesome. And then, um, and then you have the people. I would say like long shifts, yeah. and that can be broken into work for sure. Like it could be productivity boost during the day, but it can also be like 
nurses at night that have really long shifts or mm-hmm. truckers or parents, you know, that mm-hmm. like you have an entire day with kids under five, for example. Um, and so I would say those are the main categories that people buy Mojo for, which again, now we're kind of tr- trying to figure out how do we have different landing pages for those very different type of use cases. Um, and so we're kind of working through how do we talk to those different types of people right now. It's tough, right? It's tough. It kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier. Like, if your product is applicable to so many different types of people, and also if it's differentiated as a product, like you have these different lines, like Guela's moving away from Mojo as a brand, um, it's difficult to tell the larger story to the customer. I think this is an interesting thing, especially with CPG, right? But like today, more than ever in this fast-paced media landscape that we live in, it's extremely difficult to articulate the need for a customer to explore a brand. Um, there's less examples of that kind of brand being prevalent in the world. And even luxury brands that used to command that kind of you know, responsibility upon the customers, let's call it 20, 30, 40 years ago, now are trying to peddle their product in the same way that any fast fashion uh, you know, quick seasonable, you know, what do they call them in fashion these days? Capsule. Mm. You heard that word? The ca- capsule wardrobes. Um, yeah, it's like, oh my God, this guy just dropped that new hat. You know, and it's a collab, you know, it's, you could only get this many pieces. It's like, ugh, it's it gets crazy. really hard actually to try to find almost like a, like a category authority on different types of categories, including fashion. Um, I like, no longer am I looking at like what is Zara dropping, what is Gucci dropping, what are these like bigger fashion houses, whether it's like elite fashion or day to day fashion. It's more so finding like those smaller designers that have a re- like you know two hundred k following or something. What are they dropping? Because they're actually going to be the ones that dictate what everybody's going to be wearing. Mm-hmm. Similar to supplements, it's like who are the um, like smaller but bigger players, and what are the ingredients they're using? How are they talking about their ingredients and how do we do the same thing? And especially in, in a world where we're, we're peddling microdoses, <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. Sometimes we're like, it, there is no path that we can kind of look at. It's kind of like, all right, well, let's just keep trying A, B, C, and so on, testing and see which one performs best and then go back to it. So you guys uh, have definitely been doing a great job of, of kind of digging into content and creating content. Um, what's the strategy with that? That's a great question that I don't know how to And I hate answer. that word, by the way, content. For anyone who's listening, I, I, if I, please, I apologize for using that word. But yeah, you know, like... It's so many different things. Um, we've tried the whole micro-influencers creating content for us without a script, with a script, or with guidelines, rather, not a script. Um, we've tried the founders recording videos and posting that out there about our experience as like creating a brand. We've tried purely static type of content where it's just educational or maybe cool or aspirational. We've tried a lot of things. Um, the thing about us is like the benefits that we want to talk about are often against community guidelines. And so maybe we've been deactivated twice now or so. And then from like Instagram or from that's TikTok. That's a pretty meta statement. We've been deactivated. <laughs> It's over. It's awful. And or you get shadow banned where it's like they don't tell you've done anything wrong, but all of a sudden like you can't be searched and your engagement just takes a nosedive and you'd have no idea what you did wrong. Um and trying to contact Meta is like 
well, it's good luck. Right. You know? Right. They're all hiding in the metaverse. <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's a real problem, right? And relying on social channels to uh, reach customers and 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 kind of having them as your brand outlet is very difficult. You're not in control. Yeah, and so we're still trying different things. Like we are constantly kind of looking on social platforms, seeing what other brands do or seeing what other creators do, um, and then seeing, can we do something like that? Mm -hmm. um, and, but the, the rules are constantly changing. And so we're just, I would say, good at adapting to what type of content we need to put out, trying new things. Um, but honestly, like it, it's just, it's always just something new. Yeah. But is, is the main thing to be able to spread awareness about the product whilst also kind of developing relationships with people, like finding new customers? I would say yes. Benefits, like letting people know that there is an alternative to, you know, mood, focus, energy that is relatively natural and organic um, and fun. Um, and then starting conversations with people, trying to be engaged on like, how can you use Mojo? Um, trying to get invited to cool things as a brand, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, just, I guess, really sharing our story and trying to create a community based on that. Like right now, so I recently took over customer success until until Feb. And um, a lot of the time I'm just like, yeah, no, like you're talking to founder right now. Uh, hello, like, how are you using it? And I think just customers, even myself as a customer, like I love that I can reach out to a brand and get direct FaceTime essentially with the person who created it. Oh, yeah. Um, this so that's is, what we're trying to do. I do the same thing. I do the same thing. If someone emails Startwell and I respond, you know, I always, uh, even if I'm in between five million things and I pick up the phone and, and we have this VoIP thing that rings all over the place, right? And they're like, hi, yeah, I'm just trying to do this. And I'm like, okay, cool. Send an email to info at startwell.co. And they're like, really? Will anyone read that? And I'm like, no, no, it's not a generic thing. It comes to me. I'm the CEO. I just don't want to spell my first name right now. It's just really easy. <gasps> really? You're the you're the founder? And I'm like, I, that's another thing. It's like people, you know, this looks great, right? This 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 packaging looks awesome. Mojo. It looks like it's legitimate, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so people kind of, when they see this and they see it in a store, they see the branding on the website and they, they see that there's so much content and it's something to delve into, uh, their immediate thought or consciousness isn't around the founder story and the fact that like there's people like producing this thing, you know? And that's a whole nother critique I have, you know, of kind of the, the modern... Um, Maybe the also in CPG particularly, like in, in packaged goods, people kind of assume that these things just come out of factories, and they're born yeah. they're born from the loins of the machine, you know. Um, but there's uh, so it's interesting to humanize it and and to, to specifically like you know talk to the customers and and offer that perspective. I, I think it's really fun. It's it's super fun to do the CS stuff. Talk to people. I think it is. I I'll, there's there, again. 50-50 on the fun and the pain. Right, right. Um, but I, I've also noticed myself as a customer, um, different brands that I've recently become like absolutely obsessed with. Mm -hmm. Like I will find out who the founder is and I will message them on Instagram and be like, look, I'm also a founder and I just, you created a fantastic product. I am like, I am one of your customers and I think it's, what you're doing is amazing. And founders love that. Because mm -hmm. you know, like a lot of people do, people do assume it's just like, oh, it's just being created, produced somewhere. It's like, no, every single time that like, you know, you message us on Instagram or something, I'm like, oftentimes I will see it, you know? And like either it will make my day or I'm like, or it'll ruin my day. <laughs> um, and, and that's the be thing. Be nice, people, be nice. Oh, absolutely, please. 
And that's what the other thing about customer success. Sometimes you get people that are really sweet and kind and understanding. Other times people just want to just complain and be rude and mean. And I'm like, there's no AI on the other side of this. I am a human. I recently mm-hmm. had that with a somebody who was upset, and I was like. I, I I type back. I'm like, this is. I think this is what you mean. I'm like, is this what you mean? And they're like, it sounds like you're frustrated. So I'll just end the conversation. And I'm just like, no. And and this is the thing is like, <laughs> the means of communication is so important to be able to communicate effectively. And chat. This is I think why, uh, you know, this kind of a, a semi quasi intelligent AI has really done well for chatbots in the last few, five six years, is. Uh, most conversations are triageable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you just want to get the customer to the information they're looking for, or otherwise to assuage their fear that they're not alone and that someone will reach out to them. But don't reach out during chat or is chat again because it's so tough. It's so tough. Unless it's like some functional question someone has, like they're chatting with the software company trying to diagnose an issue to do with an integration. Very different than, you know. I, I don't know. What's an example even of like a customer support request for a product like this? Where's my shipment? <laughs> okay. Okay. So it's um, mainly to do with that? Uh, no. A lot of sometimes people are like, um, how am I supposed to feel? Uh, so how much apprehension. should I take? Okay. Um, there's a, a fair amount of, especially now that we went international, it's mm-hmm. like, where's my package? Because depending on, are we fulfilling, are somebody else fulfilling? Right. Um, I got one that was interesting recently. She was just like, hey, I, I shipped it to my parents, but then I realized it says microdose on it. You guys don't have any drugs in it, right? And I was like, no, no, we don't. Um, she's like, I, I want to cancel my order because it says microdose on it. And like, I'm not sure what the packaging is going to look like. I'm like, it's a plain white, white like package. Like, it's not going to you know freak anybody out, but totally get it. Like, you can reorder later. No, no issue. Um, but yeah, I would say some education, some logistic stuff. Um, but personally, like for me, even as a customer, I when I my heart just drops when I see that it's only AI, like it's only going to yeah. be a, a reservation bank of basically like different questions that people have asked. I'm just like, I just I just want a person. I just want a person to tell yeah. me that everything's going to be all right, and and that's it. <laughs> for me, that's why I love telephone. I still love telephone. I I just adore the telephone. I think having a conversation with someone, of course, in person is the best thing ever, but I also hate video calls. Like I hate them. I detest them vehemently. So uh, like zooms and all the stuff with boxes and just like, you know, I'm seeing only like Mm -hmm. one direction. You can't move your head. Uh, Very annoying to me. I'd rather have just audio only. And so we have our telephone number on our website for that. And we encourage people to call and um, and leave a voicemail. And that's another thing that unfortunately people are not in the habit of 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 utilizing voicemails these days um what no. I, and what i found this is an interesting little social anecdote that I, I observation in the last few years is leading into the pandemic business phone calls typically i would find um for like let's call it leads like people that need a book a meeting space at startwell we would have uh perhaps 60% to 80% like quite a high threshold of people calling that didn't reach somebody on our staff they would leave a voicemail um with the pandemic it's gone down to about 30% hmm. and the more i survey people and and when i find the, i call back the missed calls always and i ask people just to learn what happened most people are so burnt out from their personal in their personal lives about uh 
being reachable and on demand for work and for home and they just they're they don't know what to say when it hits voicemail they kind of feel awkward if there's someone there then maybe they can you know they're not alone in a way they're forced to do it <laughs> yeah it's so interesting um so anyway i like the phone a lot i i do miss voicemails i like hearing voicemails it's quite fun um but yeah customer support can be can be tricky especially as you are global and you're selling your product all over the place um how has going back to the marketing side of things and the content how has uh, being global impacted that kind of you know brand positioning or do you think it will it will it hasn't mm-hmm. um the way that we are currently international is with this really great company called maple so what they do is that they basically do your advertising and your logistics internationally um which can get dicey for a natural food product like us because you know you have to be careful about what you're saying or what you're not saying and so forth and so on so we actually don't do any international advertising like we just don't <laughs> um we only do advertising in the US and soon to be Canada uh and our our brand positioning probably will change as that expands but for now I mean it only launched in October so we haven't done it yet okay Yeah cuz internationalization is difficult. You know, in terms yeah. of like multilingual looking at like nuances even the packaging. I was just saying right? like Canada with the French. Yeah. Uh, we're looking at the new packaging right now and it's like yeah, our packaging, our new packaging and this one like looks dope. But now we're going to have to change it up and make sure that we have that room for the French translation and and make sure that it makes sense in French, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um especially without having somebody that speaks French on our team, so like trying to find somebody that gets the brand, gets our brand voice and understands how to translate it appropriately. Um but yeah, there's there's an e- even like the value proposition that you're talking about on packaging. Different audiences want different things. Um and so again, we haven't learned that lesson yet um our assumption right now is that the canadian market is going to be very similar to the us market particularly because of the sales that we've been seeing so far anyway in canada but i'm sure it will in terms change. of the type of customer in ta- in terms of the type of customer um so where's the company at now in terms of its kind of like composure how's your team grown um it 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 like It started like three people then it we grew to about eight people and now we're back to five people. So the thing about building a company, right, is that you need different skill sets at different times of growth. Mm-hmm. And once you're past that kind of stage or that t- those type of projects needed at certain different stages, then you move on to different skill sets. Some people might transition well into other skill sets, some people, you know, they're specialists. They do that one thing. And so we've kind of, you know, gone up and down in terms of team size. Right now we're at yeah, we're at 5 right now. Um a little bit in marketing, a little bit in product and a little bit in kind of operations do a lot of things. But from us, we often just work with really good external freelancers. Um and so yeah, we just kind of keep them not on payroll. So you're pretty but, agile in the sense that you yeah. can kind of scale up and down your capabilities with using third parties. Yeah, and that's what we've really tried to get better at over the past few years because we realized like Yeah, you can bring on a bunch of team members but then you're at a whole different stage of growth and all of a sudden those skill sets aren't necessarily, you know, it's not that they're not required but it's not needed as much as they were mm-hmm. and those people don't can't sometimes can't necessarily transition into a more general role. No, so it's in, it's yeah. really yeah, it's tough to find multi-talented people that can kind of in the early stage of any company kind of pick up where it's needed, apply themselves but also be able to 
yeah, not silo themselves or go down rabbit holes and think that that's all they have to do. It's oh, I mean, some, some people like that are amazing. Like, I love when I meet a specialist. It's like, I do this one thing really well. Yeah. And I'm like, amazing, yeah. like, fantastic. I personally, like, I love operations because I'm a generalist. My entire ethos when building companies is like, you should be able to jump in into any aspect of the business and, like, do it. <laughs> um, and if you can't, then you should have a co-founder that can. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, I, I love a good generalist. <laughs> Honestly, that's what I do all day. I'm super general. I am the general of Startwell. Um, yeah, and uh, I think it's interesting because it sounds like you, you, the company is is about to blow up. I mean, five people is a small team. Mm-hmm. It's a small team. Um, how has capital, like financial capital, played a role, you know, kind of since you got the product out and you're starting to do distribution deals? Um Has it played a point where you needed to go back to find more capital from either the original investors or look outside to bring on new investors? Yeah. I mean, capital has allowed us to test new formulas, new packaging, new distribution strategies. Um, We've done, I want to say three rounds. Yeah. Yeah. since then, uh, beyond family friends, we moved into the VC space, uh, mostly with psychedelic funds. Cool. Um, yeah, they, they've been really interesting to work with. And do you know one that's based here called Noetic? I do know Noetic. We they are not one of our investors, but I have been told like you should reach out to them. And I'm okay. like maybe next round. Right now, we're our most recent round was more focused on D to C CPG type of VCs. Yep. Um, to help grow that distribution aspect, but. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of what it's been allowed us to do, it's allowed us to also hire people with those specialist mindsets, do that thing project really well, um, and build a really kick-ass brand so far. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, and then now let's talk, tying the internationalism thing to the growth uh, strategy thing and this brand positioning of Guella. Um, so I guess the idea is to prepare for legalization of psilocybin somewhere canada or elsewhere i'm gonna say i'm like probably yes canada um back to the like gamer thing it's like it's really hard to launch in a space that you do not know the culture in Mm -hmm. you know um so maybe uk my co-founders from the uk okay um but yeah i mean part of the reason that we built guela and mojo simultaneously is if in that eventuality like we would be equipped to launch a line in that space. Do we need it? No. <laughs> like we Did I see something on your website though about Jamaica? Um we were look we have a, a bunch of retreats listed on the guellamushrooms.com um, website where it's a bunch of retreats that do have, you know, psilocybin type of retreats on there. We have some partnerships with a few of them oh, okay. and we're kind of working to build that out a little bit more. Um but us in terms of like what we're doing right now it's just creating partnerships, you know, creating a, a consumer brand people recognize, um, trying to provide value for people that are looking for psychedelics, like how much to take, what to take, how to do it, when to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, s- staying on the legal side of it. Right, right. Yeah. Very cool. I'm excited by this. I think this is really cool what you're uh, what you're on to. And I think it's great to hear that like people are really kind of well actually we didn't i didn't i don't know if i heard this from you um in terms of the people that are your kind of regular customers like what's the regular use case are people using mojo through their daily life every day 
Some people, yes. Some people, no. Um, uh, some people, like gym goers, uh, tend to go to three to four times a week to the gym. That you'll take it three to four times a week. Um, other people that use it maybe for their mental health, it's more of the day to day. We suggest five days on, two days off. Um, Why take a break? Um, just to make sure you're not building too much, like a tolerance. Oh, okay. Um, we also, it is a, a riff off of the Stamets protocol for microdosing psilocybin, which is, I believe, four days on, two days off, I think. Um, so we wanted to do a play on that, but also, yeah, to make sure you don't build tolerance. Um, and then you have people that, like, if they, it's for, let's say, a pre instead of a pre-drink, they take Mojo, well, maybe they're only drinking once to twice a week on a Friday and a Saturday night. So that's their use case. So again, back to the, like, there's so many different use cases and different types of customers mm-hmm. um, that it, it it can be routine. It, it cannot be routine. Um, and I'm still figuring that out. I'm still figuring that out with customer interviews right now. I'm like, what is the majority? Yeah. It's tough. How are you conducting your customer interviews? Is it just like random surveys or are you sending messages out to people who bought through your website? So we did. We looked at. We did. Okay. So we looked at a, a model of people that were coming back and people that weren't coming back. We then downloaded all of their information, looked at uh, trying to get like a, some gender parity and some general like lifestyle parity in terms of income levels, where were they living, what their lifestyles were like. We hand selected about 200 people in about four different batches. We emailed all of the selected people, invited them to an interview, and only chose uh, between 25 to 50 of each batch. Okay. Uh, and then I sit with them for about 30 minutes and do like an, a video call interview hmm. of, you know, a bunch of questions that we wrote out that our, question, that our team wanted to know. And then I send them a gift card. <laughs> okay. So video call yep. is the format, but with some good triage. And then that's so interesting. And then uh, it's just about watching that content together or you run it through some AI to kind of you know, derive sentiment analysis notes. and stuff. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of like the geeky way to analyze all the data from that call. But yeah. yeah. That's a me on, you know, uh, Google <laughs> Smart Sheets or whatever, just taking those notes, um, putting like key, like highlighting ones that I think are really important. Yeah. Um, although that way probably would be a lot better. But uh, <laughs> no. Straight up notes. Nice. Nice. That's cool, man. And are people, um, how are people's responses when they when they hear that you're interested in hearing from them? Most of them are like pretty down. I mean, you get paid like between, well, 50 bucks for half hour. That's pretty decent, yeah. you know? And all you have to do is tell me about your experience, why you hated it, why you loved it. Um, like I do these all the time. Like I love being the customer interviewer. I love making money that way. <laughs> uh, and so people are generally pretty willing. I find that sometimes I have to preface on like, yes, I am the founder, but like, feel free to tell me my product sucks. Like it's, I'm, it's totally okay. Yeah. Um, especially cause for some people's bodies, like this just won't work for them and mm-hmm. that's okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so just prefacing it with that, trying to make them comfortable into telling, you know, how they feel. It's, it's been pretty good so far that's awesome man i think it's cool because again you're taking this really full circle approach to not only founding the company creating the product testing the product growing relationships that can help distribution it's a really interesting thing to see your approach as an entrepreneur because i think it's you're on the right track in so many directions it's awesome what do you think next year or this year i'm geez 2023 it's almost february this new year 
Um, what do you think it will bring for Mojo? What are you trying to uh, achieve this year for the brand or for the whole company, I should say? I would say at least one different use case and or form factor. Okay, cool. Um, something limited edition, like a limited edition drop. Capsule. Yeah. You know, like something something interesting. Um, I would say different flavors, maybe limited edition flavors um, as well, partially from customer interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I'd really love to do is an at-home case. Um, like these are great, but I, like even for myself, I, I like to have something at home. Uh, and also that is to go. So I'm working on that literally right now. I was designing it this morning on Photoshop. Rather so, than a Ziploc, like an actual... Yeah, like so you can buy it as a Ziploc, but... Once you get home, you can transfer it into your at-home case, or we can fill it for you, like I ship it, it back. Like a pillbox. Maybe like a pillbox. Pillbox, where each day's like divot has a little seal on it. Exactly, make it airtight. And that mm. way you could maybe even take it with you, um, you know, because we, we have gotten that. People really like Mojo because unlike a powder or capsule, well, maybe capsules, but unlike powders, you can kind of just drop it into your bag and, yeah. and go, take it whenever you want. Um, so yeah, I'm working on that literally right now. Oh, and a loyalty program. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's one thing that I is like top sites right now. Um, loyalty program for subscribers or for just return customers. I love that actually because it's it's really it's tough otherwise to divine, you know, who actually wants to have a relationship with the brand and the company out of mm-hmm. your customer base. There might be regular buyers that are like, yeah, I love this thing. It's cool. Now I'm living my life. But there's other people that are like, I love this thing. I want to meet more people that love this thing. And I would love to share stories. And so that will give you access to that. That's good. Yeah, I love brands that build out community that way. I I don't know if I have like a love-hate. I don't know if it translates into, into dollars as much as some D2C people might think. Mm-hmm. Personally, I love it. Like there are a few brands like As I Am or Hoo-Ha who I love them and I love being part of their community like I'm the type of person that will go onto their discord and like just kind of see what people are talking about and how they use their products and that's just something I'm interested in but is that majority of customers I don't know I mean this is new to me to hear that there's brands that even have discords yeah it's super cool so (laughs) hoo-ha and sorry what are these brands you mentioned what do they do uh, as I am it's an American brand they are for curly hair specifically and like hair products Mm mm-hmm Oh, cool. And um, what I love about it is that they don't have specific ingredients that, like, will make you lose your hair. Or uh, for mine specifically, like, they don't have protein in their products, which is really weirdly hard to find. Mm. Um, but they have a Discord. And so you can log on and be like, you know, how do I add this into my routine to get my best type of curls? And post a photo and pe- you get real advice from their team and from other people in their community um hoo-ha is a vancouver brand an underwear brand um get it you know your Um, hoo-ha it covers your hoo-ha exactly (laughs) um which they've also figured out a really unique way to talk about their product that doesn't get them banned on community platforms they instead like they talk about your hoo-ha with fruits and like it's just like this alternative language that everybody knows what you're talking about but it doesn't get you deactivated or shadow banned um talking about underwear would do that uh, it, it depends on what you're posting Lingerie. about it. Yeah, it can get you shadow banned. Oh, that makes sense. And it, it's interesting seeing how their community is building out. Like if you go to their comment section or even what they post about, which is often community members, um, it's just fun to be a part of it. I'm part of this like small club of like really great underwear. <laughs> it's really funny you mention that because I'll mention another brand that's actually affiliated with us because they shoot catalog content in our studio around the corner. So we have this big facility that's for stills in motion. And... Uh, 
it's such a beautiful like big white studio with a psych so a curved wall mm-hmm. there's like no corners um and it's nix so nice another canadian brand that people love um interesting founder story right mm-hmm. and uh and all of that and Every time that I tell someone that Nick shoots content at Startwell, their eyes just go really wide. At least the customers of Nick's that I speak I am a to. Nick's customer, and I also was one of their models once. What? <laughs> That's amazing. I, yeah, I was. Um, I, I was. I am a huge Nick's fan. <laughs> and and this is the thing. Every single customer that I've come across, just anecdotally through telling people about this, um, and it seems like there's a lot of customers of Nick's. Right, because they retain their customers because everyone's like, this product's awesome. There's some elasticity issues from what I hear, you know. Things wear down. It's okay. Um, But yeah, people are such loyal fans that they are almost always shocked to even discover uh, each other through these anecdotes. Like I've kind of, I've mentioned this in groups of people, like just when we're like family things. I'm like, oh yeah, the the people are asking me who's been in the uh, the studio and stuff. Because a lot of our friends are professionals, and this is just a wild, crazy world that you know the Kasim lives when I talk to them. Um, and then, yeah, groups of ladies will be like, "Ooh, you use those? Oh, I have those. Oh, and then they're off talking about Nick's oh, for twenty minutes. You know, um, so it's re- following. It makes sense that like strong brands can bring people together, and often cases, especially with your product. Um, you know, the customers will share, I'm quite certain, lifestyle values that will align them with each other even stronger. So there's a lot of potentiality to explore this year and, and onwards. And anything we can do to help that, I'd love to if there's a community in Toronto that you want to bring together in physical, real life, IRL, bring it here to start well, whatever. Um, yeah, I think that's going to be huge. Building a community is cool. I think so, too. And um, on that note, one of my favorite moments of 2021 was me outside of a club in Toronto, just like, you know, hanging out. It's like one thirty in the morning. Um, and then uh, I was I was with somebody and like we were talking about Mojo and I was talking about like work week. Um, somebody hears Mojo and they're like, oh, yeah, I love Mojo. And then the person beside them was like, yeah, I'm like, I, I love Mojo, too. And they were talking about it. And I'm just like. Oh my god! I'm like it's happening. Um, definitely a highlight of 2021. That is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. It's yeah. such a pat on the back, isn't it? Again, going back to like walking through a store and seeing your product on the shelf, it's just like that's why I do it, man. You know? Yeah. That, I mean, it's that level of like pride. You know, it's just like I I I did that, and you know, it's making people's life a little bit better. Like that's pretty cool. Absolutely. Fistbomb. Thanks for coming on the podcast. It was great chatting with you. Thank you for having me. This has been so fun.